It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Julie Perkins, here today with a panel of really excellent, experienced government uh, reporters. And we're going to do sort of a year in review and um, a look ahead to 2018. Joining me here in studio today is Charlie Cl- uh, Clark of GovExec. Gev, that was like the easy last name, and I yeah. mangled it. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> Kevin McCardis of E&E News and Nicole Ogrisco of Federal News Radio to discuss the biggest news topics and congressional issues that have affected feds over 2017 and what 2018 looks like. So good morning, all. Sorry for the mangling of the names. You know, you practice, and it, it just, um, ah, Okay, it's a Friday. Anyway, um, I thought for the first uh, segment, we would talk about how 2017, how the new administration has been managing the executive branch and um, what effects it's had on the federal workforce. So, Charlie, you want to weigh in on that? Sure. Well, the the agencies that have been in... uh Targeted the most for uh, cutbacks uh, include the, the State Department and the Environmental Protection Agency, a few others. Uh, State has been in the news a lot this week uh, as we speak since the uh, Secretary Rex Tillerson's uh, future is, seems to be in doubt, although there's no confirmation that he's going to leave his job. But he gave a speech uh, on Monday at the Wilson Center where he defended his reorganization plan, which has been attacked by uh, a lot of departed critics, retirees, as well as the uh, American Foreign Service uh, Association, uh, retired diplomats. And the, uh, his uh, guru, who was planning, uh, doing most of that planning for the uh, reorganization, which is done in consultation with a lot of staff people, he, he stresses, but uh, Malise Beam, she left the job uh, on Tuesday. So it's, uh, that was uh, probably a, a blow to him. And there, there does seem to be some um, disgruntlement among uh, in the diplomatic community, but but the State Department will insist that the actual numbers are pretty stable and that most of the departures are normal attrition. And I've read some articles written by um, the departing or soon to be departing uh, senior um, staff at State, and what they describe is is nothing normal. Um, do you think that their perspective is correct? Uh, there seems to be a lot of vacancies. Is that... Um... Yes. In fact, T- Tillerson's statement this week uh, specifically noted that he thinks the Senate has held up a couple of his key nominees for uh, Undersecretary for Management and uh, Legal Counsel is the two he, examples he gave. He does have a, a deputy in, Mr. Sullivan, but... Uh, Basically, there seems to be a difference of opinion on 
how many people are, are needed and how many uh, special envoys are needed and how many people need to report directly to the secretary. And he's bringing his corporate experience to try and uh, streamline that. And I think a lot of the professionals who are used to basing things on expertise in various parts of the world don't see it the same way. And I also read that um, the applicants um, for foreign service officer positions were were about half what they were a year ago. Um, is that how, how do they attribute that? Well, in, in the the pipeline, the uh, American Foreign Service Association argues that people taking the foreign service exam, the numbers have gone down. Again, state sort of rebuts that a little bit. Uh, because, you know, it's it's like in the military where uh, a good career requires you you hitting certain stations along the way to in order to be considered very experienced when you've hit 15 or 20 years. And mm-hmm. so people who join the Foreign Service uh, have to do that kind of long-range planning. And so it's not like the corporate world where people can be uh, dismissed so readily. Yeah, it's up or out. Uh, after a certain level, even with tenure, right? It's yeah. um, it's a very you have to have a very long range plan when you join state. They, they yeah, and you you acquire certain specialties with mm-hmm. the hope that in the long term that will qualify you for certain higher level jobs. And do you think, um, um, uh, Kevin Nicole, that that state is unique to uh, or how the attrition uh, at state is unique, or do you see it at other agencies? I mean, I I would say that state is a little unique in that the qualifications that someone needs to have that kind of career in foreign service, like Charlie mentioned, um, at the same time, I think, you know, we're not necessarily seeing federal employees, career employees leaving their jobs in droves, as you might expect, maybe, um, if you're looking at the situation, I, I think, you know, the the situation with the buyouts has something to do with it right now for civilian agencies it's only a $25,000 buyout um there is a proposal in the senate that would increase it to 40,000 um so i don't think you know we're not seeing a huge number of employees leave right at this moment yeah i think unless i was retirement eligible or had a expertise that translated readily to the private sector, twenty-five thousand is it would not be an incident for me anyway to give up um, a career and and tenure in the in the workforce. So um, perhaps if they increase it more, um, you'll have more attrition. Right, and I think we saw you know when there was talk a couple years ago about a possible retirement tsunami. I mean that just hasn't really happened yet. Yeah. I think we're seeing that. People are working longer. Um, the economy, the recession may have had something to do with that. And, you know, if the money isn't there as an incentive for them to retire, they're they're going to stay no matter what, you know, their highest boss is, is doing, uh, you know, is saying in, in the public sphere anyway. Uh, Kevin, you see that over at EPA as well. And um, Interior, uh, are you seeing the attrition, the offers of buyouts uh, very in an aggressive manner? the way well, you're, you're hearing about it, State? Well, EPA did go through a round of buyouts um, this year, and um, hundreds left, which is a lot of people. Uh, but again, EPA proposed more than 1,200 positions to be bought out, and only about 372 people accepted. That's according to data. I 
got under the Freedom Information Act. So you only had about, what, a quarter of the positions of the jobs of the people leave that EPA wanted to. And so mm-hmm. talking to career employees, um, talking to the people who left, they were like, well, I was going to retire anyway, so why not just take the buyout as well? But talking to people who are still there, it's $25,000 is not a lot of money. And I've had people say to me, you know, if they bump it to 40000 which again, like Nicole mentioned, there's legislation moving in the Senate that would bump it to 40000 And then I think a lot of people would take a second look and might even jump. Um, and buyouts are a possibility for next year at EPA. It's something that gets uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of ink in uh, President Trump's budget plan for fiscal 2018. And the House and Senate legislation basically agrees with the workforce reshaping. That's the words they use in the budget. But that if you kind of look into the, you know, the meaty congressional justification and they talk about that might mean early retirement and buyouts again coming at EPA. And Charlie, you mentioned before we started the show that um, those two agencies are, are filled with people that um, are passionate about the causes, uh, you know, of the mission of of EPA or state. Um, so do you think in the yeah. end they're go- the buyouts are going to be successful? Well, I mean, people complain and they, uh, they, have, they can't complain too loudly in the office that they may complain uh, on some of these encrypted apps. But uh, they, they know that, um, especially baby boomers uh, in their 50s or so, that it's not that easy to start a new career. Uh, the economy's in decent shape, but there's still a lot of uh, uh, technology that's replacing jobs. There isn't as much hiring uh, as uh, the Republicans hope there will be after they pass the tax reform. So the kind of people who are attracted to overseas work and intercultural work or people who are committed to uh, cleaning the environment uh, tend to work for the agencies out of uh, uh, their commitment to the cause, and they wouldn't be as uh, as interested in transferring to some similar agency the way uh, some people in the business world might be. So. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I mean, you know, in the private sector, you'd have the offers of buyouts, and then the next thing you know, you're going to have the restructuring, uh, involuntary um, rifts. Uh, do you see that on the horizon in 2019, or you said 2018 EPA is going to try again? Uh, I think I I think that's a possibility. Um, I think it's something that's hinted at very strongly in their budget plan, and again, I think House and Senate appropriators seem seem okay with it. So um, I think uh, you talk to union officials at EPA too, and I mean they think buyouts are. Or you know, or you know, over the another round of buyouts are just over the horizon again. We'll have to see once we get, you know, funding legislation passed, mm-hmm. like an omnibus pass for fiscal eighteen. We'll see. What but it also, says. the reorganization plans that all the agencies are doing at OMB's direction are for the budget for fiscal two thousand nineteen are supposed to contain the long term reorg plan, which could include reductions in force. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see more of that when the president submits his budget requests for 2019 in February, I think. And that's, I think, when we'll have a better sense of exactly what agencies are thinking about as far as that restructuring goes. Mm. Okay. Um, We're going to take a break now. Uh, You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And we'll continue our discussion after this break and a word from our sponsor. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And we're doing sort of a year in review and looking ahead. I um, thought we'd turn now to the um, omnib- necessary omnibus spending bill that um, may or may not pass in the near future. Uh, I believe is the, the deadline the 7th of December or the 9th of uh, December? The 8th. Oh, wow. Midnight. Of the 8th. Midnight of the 8th. Okay. And then it would be a government shutdown um, for everyone but essential uh, employees. And um, what's the word uh, you're hearing about the likelihood of that occurring? Well, the (laughs) Republicans in the House have floated a plan to provide a two-week extension, which would get us to right before Christmas without a, a shutdown. And there's still, uh, the Democrats in the Senate particularly have more leverage than the uh, uh, they do on, say, this tax reform bill where the majority only needs 50, 50 or 51 votes. Uh, they need 60 in the Senate to get an omnibus spending bill through. And the Democrats have some of their own agenda items that they will insist on, such as uh, a solution to the DACA, the Dreamers, uh, children born in this country uh, to uh, undocumented wor- uh, immigrants, and uh, the health care, uh, stabilization of the health care market. Those are two of the issues that Democrats will fight to address before they're willing to sign on to a, an omnibus. And uh, both sides will blame the other if there is a government shutdown. Yeah, and I would also say there, Senate Democrats are interested in seeing spending parity between the Defense Department and civilian agencies, I could see that them not necessarily getting that wish uh, in whatever deal they come up with for next year. And would the spending bill um, have to deal with the the tax bill's effect um, on the PAYGO, Um, you know, the automatic cuts to Medicare and... um, uh, the some of the entitlements because of the deficit of the tax. Is that where they're talking about waiving PAYGO? I've been reading about that as trying to figure out whether or not, um, you know, the some of the entitlement programs are, and discretionary programs are going to get automatically cut, I think, under sequestration. Uh, um, is, is that part of this omnibus to deal with that, too? Um, well, they, Congress has to come up with some sort of solution to the spending cap issue. Um, any proposal that I think we've seen so far this year, whether it's the appropriations bills that the House has already passed, uh, plans for defense spending have really busted through those sequester caps that uh, we hear about with the Budget Control Act. So it's a part of it. Um Mandatory and discretionary spending are two different things, and the omnibus will will deal with discretionary spending. Uh, whatever policies 
the tax reform proposal covers will probably deal with some of those entitlement programs that are under uh, mandatory spending. So kind yes. of two different things. Okay. There, there's in the ta- buried in the tax reform bill is a, I think it's a twenty five billion dollar cut in in Medicare as a part of entitlement reform, which is different from the the omnibus spending bill, which we're talking about right. uh, extending until the twenty third of December. I just I was reading about how whether or not the Democrats were going to waive the uh, pay-as-you-go requirement um, as a result of the tax bill deficit, and I didn't know where that fit in and which bill that would be part of. It's there's so many moving parts. At the yeah, end of well, the, the year Senate right parliamentarian now. has some say in that too. Okay, I think, in the, the bird rule and uh, putting a, a authorization policy language in a, in a spending bill is a is a no no and. Uh, it, is the um, okay? So the tax reform bill that's in front of the Senate right now, as we're talking, um, that'll be uh, assumingly it's voted on today. Is the next step to do the two-week extension or or deal with the potential shutdown? Do you know if if that's on the agenda? Or are they going to go away for the weekend? I mean, I think the deadline demands it. I mean, December 8th, again, is when they're going to run out of funding, and that's next week. Um, I mean, something also to keep in mind is President Trump is kind of a wild card in this situation. Um, He's, I mean, the Washington Post reported this week that thinks the shutdown would be good for him politically. Um, He's, I think he's even said that himself or something, you know, maybe we need a shutdown, you know, earlier this year. So, um I don't quite know his thinking, but I don't think many of the lawmakers, you know, are negotiating this, uh, know where he's going to come down. Um, but you, you'd like to think if they, he'll sign it, he won't veto a CR, a two-week CR. Um, a continuing resolution. Yeah. Yeah. But, right around uh, the holidays. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think you'd do that. But one thing to keep in mind, I'd, we haven't brought this up yet, but we had the, the Kate Steele case verdict come down last night and uh, I haven't had a chance, but the White House press secretary put out a statement. Uh, President Trump has, I think, done a few tweets about it and mm-hmm. saying we need to build the wall. Um, I mean, that's going to be, I think, you know, immigration, the wall, those kind of items. The DACA gonna, issue. DACA issue. Mm-hmm. It's going to come kind of coming back stronger because of this case out in San Francisco where I think a undocumented immigrant um, shot and, and killed somebody, but um, the, the verdict came down, and I think he only got charged on... It was accidental, according to the verdict. Right. Yeah. He was acquitted of murder. Yeah. Acquitted of murder and, mansla- and manslaughter, too, yeah. right? I think they only got him charged on... He only got convicted on the holding a weapon charge or something like that. So, yes, so, in but, other words, the wall funding uh, is still part of the calculation in whether there'd yeah. be a shutdown but uh trump has not demonstrated that he's vetoes things yet so it's hard to know that's true yeah he hasn't done well they haven't passed anything substantive this year but um the, well except for the russian sanctions bill i suppose but and there was that some, was veto proof there right? was some thinking that yeah i mean they they passed enough votes to make it veto proof so I don't know if that was in his thinking, but he was very unhappy signing that. Um, He kind of put out a very forthright signing statement after he signed the Russian sanctions bill. Um, 
And I've so. seen like prior administrations, they put out the, we don't really like what you're, what you're looking at, Bill, like the threat of a veto. And yeah. has he done any of that this year about any, any of the bills being contemplated? Um, I, his administration has put out uh, statements of policy uh, on certain bills. Um, I, I don't know that any of them have necessarily said we wholeheartedly disagree with this entire piece of legislation. Right. But I know, you know, in looking at things like the defense authorization bill, he's indicated a desire to include, you know, hey, your bill leaves out this. I'd like to see it um, in other pieces of legislation that we've seen. He has indicated and, you know, I do strongly encourage you to include uh, border wall spending. So I don't necessarily know that we've seen a very strong no statement from him yet. But. See, this is a different situation. When Obama was in office facing a Republican-controlled Congress, mm-hmm. they would put out statements of administration policy on a regular basis, and there would be a long, detailed analysis of a, individual provisions of a lot of bills. And then in the end, it would say if this bill were to reach his desk, his staff would recommend that the president veto it. So we haven't seen those yet from Trump. Okay. We okay. might see that past the 2018 election if if one of the chambers goes Democratic. <laughs> yeah, right. The, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That right, because we've got um, the yeah, whole... That's, that's a long way to go. <laughs> yes, it's been a long year, and that's a long way away. Okay, it's a, a, yeah. it's a, almost a year away, the elections. You know, yeah. on the tax reform bill, I was going to say, mm-hmm. uh, they're under political and tactical pressure to pass it quickly in the Senate and then have a conference with the House. But... The Congress itself does not end uh, this holiday season, so they could, if the if the negotiations they're doing right today will break down, they could still resurrect the tax bill in, in January or February, even though they they don't want to. And uh, uh, the interestingly, the funding for the Internal Revenue Service, which would have to implement this tax bill, which is a piece I, I wrote about this week, is been cut yet again for. Uh, sixth year in a row, I guess. Mm. And uh, uh, I quote some of the uh, spokespeople for the Ways and Means and Appropriations Committee and Finance Committee, and, and they, they don't seem worried, but they don't really have made plans for that. And uh, uh, I did a look back at the 1986 tax reform and how much new pressure it put on the IRS, where they actually added about 10,000 employees in the two or three years following passage of that act. Right. I, I, I was reading your article and I was struck. Um, I know that the IRS has been um, cut over the last um, number of years, uh, but the workforce being uh, less than it was in 1990, um, despite having Obamacare and now this new tax reform is, is quite extraordinary. Uh, and then, of course, people are going to probably complain about filing issues, um, but no one's really working there. Yeah, I think the agency has lost about 20,000 employees over the past six or seven years. And since 2010, their budget's been cut by almost a billion dollars. I mean, those are significant cuts that they've definitely seen over the past six or seven years here. I mean, I don't like to pay taxes as much as the next person, but um, that is the one agency that actually makes money for the um, press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting, the Senate in a in its report on the tax bill acknowledges that the IRS budget 
shouldn't be cut as political punishment. And that's really what has been motivating it in, in the last, at least the last three, three or four years. Um, because of the um, allegations that they were um, investigating certain conservative um, nonprofits. Nonprofits. Yeah. And so that's been the target. And it's also, it's just an agency that a lot of Republicans just don't like. They, they know it plays well on the campaign trail to, to bash the IRS. So. Some have, pro- have proposed they get rid of it entirely. I'm not sure how that works or how you collect revenue for the federal government in that case, but they've put that out there. It's like the post office. They, mm. <laughs> so they're reminded that it's in the Constitution and uh, they have to uh, deliver mail. Hmm. So, <laughs> Okay, well, on that uplifting note, I think it's time to take another... Um, break and we'll continue our discussion after a word from our sponsor and you're listening to fed talk on federal news radio 1500 a.m make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan long-term care is expensive and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans with benefits designed specifically for the federal family the federal long-term care insurance program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday start planning for the future take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today that's ltcfeds.com if you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And today we are featuring a panel discussion with federal government reporters about the biggest issues of the year and predictions for 2018. So um, I want to touch on what's going on over at CFPB and, and OPM, but um, maybe maybe I'll just flat out ask, Charlie, what do you think the biggest issue of 2017 for the federal workforce has been? Do you have a... The fear of layoffs, I would say. The uh, yeah. Not many people expected Donald Trump to win the presidency, and uh, there is uh, a hostility towards uh, public service and towards um, uh, expertise uh, in people who have longstanding in agencies, there's a, more of an assumption, which has existed for a long time, that private sector people can come in and uh, shake things up. Uh, so I think those are probably the, what scares feds the most. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the um, the memo that went out in March the from OMB about all the restructuring and um, reductions uh, was quite eye-opening in terms of uh, their plans for the executive branch. Kevin, what do you think the um, uh, a big issue of 2017 was? If you can, if there is one, there there seems to be a lot, <laughs> and it's hard to uh, just pick one. Sometimes, uh, I, I think, I mean, I think Charlie, I have to agree with Charlie. I do think like reduction, you know, reductions in the workforce, buyouts, layoffs, fear of those, uh, budget cuts, um, just what 
my agency is going to look uh, look like under this new administration, um, I think has kind of been, you know, the the driving issue for many federal employees. Um, just uh, again, a lot of people I can speak to kind of certain agencies, definitely at EPA and tier department, you know, Department of Energy. People were surprised, and a lot of people were upset when uh, President Trump won the election. Um, and the transition was a really interesting time because there wasn't that much communication between the outgoing Obama administration and incoming transition team. It took a couple weeks for, at least at EPA, for people um, with the Trump transition team to come in. And I think it's just been a lot of questions and just a lot of unknown what exactly uh, the Trump administration wants to really do at certain agencies. I think if you talk to career employees, they, they just don't have much communication, much guidance, um, a lot of le- leadership directed at them. Um, and so I think maybe if I could come up with a second big issue, it's kind of the unknown, the lack of communication, just where people are just kind of are not really clued in or not, you know, brought in it, it early into the decision-making process. They're kind of delivered things on their plate or they find out about them in the news or, you know, uh, it's just kind of, there's just this, this kind of disconnect between kind of uh, a lot of the career employees and kind of the this new political leadership. I think, because I think it's been a learning process for both, it's just, um, you know, you've seen President Trump on the campaign trail and then now his appointees are in office and the, you know, the incoming political leadership or, I mean, I think a lot of people, I think the whole country was surprised when uh, President Trump won the election. So I th- a lot of people probably weren't expecting to be working in an administration and now they are. So everyone's kind of learning about each other. So it's just been kind of this big learning process, but I think uh, kind of the lack of communication so far. And um, Interior uh, was about, I don't know, six months ago. It started to keep track of the month, but all of a sudden, basically the first day they could, they started reassigning a lot of the career senior executives um, to various components within the department. Um, And I know that that is... Um, under investigation by the inspector general, sort of the um, methodology and who was picked and whether or not it was partisan. Um, do you know what's going on with that? I mean, um, again, there's an inspector general investigation and it's kind of been given, it's been in the news a lot because you've had um, this whistleblower, this climate scientist by the name of Joel Clement. He's gotten a lot of attention in the press and he's actually, he's has since resigned um, oh, he's, he's no longer doing his he's, bookkeeping. Yeah, he resigned, and he's actually yeah. filed a, a lawsuit under, I think, under FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, to get more records yeah. on these transfers because he felt like he was targeted. He went from doing climate science to accounting. Yeah. Um, and he's very, you know, been very vocal, and I think he's kind of brought kind of a face to that situation. I mean, it also speaks to greater things that could happen in Interior that's been talk of that there was – Republican House lawmakers are like, well, we should move some of these agency headquarters around. We should, you know, a lot of these 
uh, you know, bureaus with an interior do are basically, you know, dealing with the West, you know, the rock, you know, Rocky Mountain region, Southwest, so on and so forth. So there's actually the interior secretary. I think we, I was looking back into our archives and um, interior secretary, uh, Ryan Zinke, like actually was talking about moving the headquarters of Bureau of Land Management, the Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Bureau of Reclamation to Denver. Um, according to some employee notes, one of my uh, of a talk he gave uh, that one of my colleagues at any News got got his hands on. Um, wow! So yeah, so yeah, I mean, I saw that one too. <laughs> yeah, there's some big changes potentially being discussed. Um, Jason Chaffetz, before he resigned was um, trying to move through, I think, at least a resolution to talk about maybe we should study about moving agencies elsewhere <laughs> um, outside of D.C. And, of course, that faced some pushback from kind of, um, you know, Eller Holmes Norton and other kind of Democrats in Northern Virginia. I mean, of kind of, you know, I mean, D.C. is a company town and that company is the federal government. So Senator Byrd was uh, sort of famous for sending them all to West Virginia. There's all these <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> nice one highways other, out there. <laughs> I want to make one other point on the forced transfers at Interior. You know, the Senior Executive Service, as, as you all know, w was designed for these managers to be mobile and be able to experiment with different agencies. But my understanding is that it's usually done more in a negotiated way than they try and maximize somebody's personal qualifications and interests rather than sending them uh, overnight to a, a job that they have very little uh, either background or interest in. Yeah. Right, because that would, I mean, it's our it's our tax dollars that are paying um, you know, the executive salary. You'd want them to be productive and, um, um, you know, mission-focused rather than accounting for a climate scientist that doesn't seem to be very efficient to me of my money. Because yeah. <laughs> um, they do get, I mean, they get paid a decent salary, certainly nothing uh, that they would get in the private sector, but um, but you'd want them to be, as you said, um, content and um, able to contribute. Are you seeing movement elsewhere, uh, or is Interior sort of the most vocal uh, moves of senior executives? I think we've seen a few high-profile moves at the agriculture department. Uh, it's CIO moving uh, to a new position. But Interior has certainly been the most high-profile. I think we should say it's also unclear exactly how many senior executives were transferred at Interior. We keep hearing 30 to 50. And that's one thing that Joel Clement asked for in his FOIA, exactly how many people were transferred in talking to some senior executives at that department, they have a rough idea, but again, they're not even sure. Um, I would also say the the big thing with that reassignment issue in Interior has been that senior executives feel that they haven't uh, been a uh, they haven't been asked to participate in the agency's reorganization planning. They felt that they've been left in the dark. They hear about possible moves to Denver, uh, you know through meetings but also in the news and you know they many of them expressed to me that they just felt that they haven't been involved at all and they have you know decades of experience at that department and in leadership positions in general hmm. i mean that's one thing that's interesting so if you could talk to 
kind of political, former political appointees of prior administrations, Democratic, Republican, they said, we depended on the career people so much just for how things get done and um, just, you know, institutional knowledge. Um, so I think uh, kind of that lack of communication being left in the dark, I mean, I think a lot of these career employees were like, we could streamline, we could, we could have less people or we could do things differently in a more efficient way. Um, and they probably could have a lot to offer if they were kind of touch base on it. There's been some moves on that. Um, I mean, the State Department kind of had a pretty infamous survey that I don't think went over well. Um, EPA actually did one too. Um, Chief of Staff Ryan Jackson had a survey kind of as part of the reorganization plan. Um, I haven't been able to get my hands on the results. Uh, but uh, it, it's been pretty interesting to kind of see this, this learning process because I think more and more, I think it's starting to break down a little bit. I think the career employees are starting to talk to political appointees, but it seemed to have taken so long, maybe longer, even much longer than it should for a new administration. I, I, you know, I haven't <clears throat> checked the tally recently, but uh, how many unfilled political estimate? Uh, well, it's still about half, I think, half. haven't been nominated. And there's, you know, it was just, I, can't, I can't remember exactly, but it's 50 or 60 that are waiting for Senate confirmation. Mm. The Partnership for Public Service with the Washington Post does that regular uh, tally of uh, appointment tracker. tracker. Yeah, and I, I know there was like a, a burst of them right before they went into their August recess of the ones that had been nominated, but I know that mm -hmm. there's there's uh, agencies where there's no nominations and um, they're just waiting for, for people to to come and run their agencies. <laughs> uh, um, so hopefully that will get smoothed out in 2018. I think, Kevin, your point is, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that believed he was going to win, but in terms of his transition team and then with the governor getting canned during the transition. Yeah. Um, I think governor it was Christie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Christie. Um, I think that did slow things down. So maybe um, 2018 will be a little smoother. I, I mean, I've read reports recently that some of the top Trump aides made a show of throwing Governor Christie's like binders in the trash. So I don't know. I think I read that Politico. I mean, sounds very dramatic. You know, it's just whatever. I mean, with the with the symbolism that whatever Christie, Governor Christie had come up with for the transition team was just we're not we're starting afresh. We're starting all anew. So, you know, I think he was running the transition or putting charge of the mm -hmm. transition effort at least by the summer of 2016. Yeah, um, I think after the nomination had been clinched. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're supposed to set up right around the conventions, right after yeah. the conventions. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's under a new law that I think was passed a couple of years ago, but this is the first time it got its run out, this new transition law, Correct. and each agency has got to appoint a transition coordinator, mm -hmm. kind, of the, kind of the point of contact for the transition team. Um, the whole transition is just was very fascinating to me. Yeah. So, but one thing 
got to mention, uh, we should mention is you mentioned um, lack of nominees, and that gets into a vacancy act problems, which is when you don't have a nominee for a Senate confirmed uh, position, then you can't. Um, a person only has about what 210 days, but yeah. yeah, but 300, 300, 300 yeah. in a transition year. Right. So, i.e., this year, and that deadline passed um, kind of mid November. Mm. So, there's been a lot of officials who who were acting, and some of them were career employees. So, they had to take a step back and they no longer could be like the acting person in charge of a certain you know, branch of an agency that requires like a Senate confirmed uh, person. But the fact that you don't have a nominee uh, means you trigger this vacancy act issue. Um, but there's also been some politicals who've had that who were put in as um, acting officials for some of these offices. Um, and they've had to take a step back too. Um, and basically they can get challenged in court. If they continue past this deadline, they then can get some of their decisions can get challenged in court and just results in chaos, you know? I, I think we have to take a short break and then let's, I think, continue this discussion because we have some um, recent news It's at one of the bureaus. Um, but um, we're going to take our last break and stop to hear from our sponsor. And when we'll return, we'll wrap up our discussion. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and we're entering our last segment of the show. Um, Nicole, uh, you had uh, something to discuss about um, benefits or? Oh, um, well, if uh, I I would just say that the the biggest issue for me for 2017 with federal employees was their benefits, particularly their retirement benefits. There were a lot of threats to them in 2017 coming directly from the White House and also in budget resolutions. Um, ultimately, we're not seeing those proposals come to fruition. I'm pretty sure this year uh, they could at the last minute. We'll see. Um, I can't believe but, that they didn't cut the first um, benefit contribution. Um, that That's sort of been on the chopping block for a number of years. Uh, and they, they control, uh, you know, both, both parts of Congress and the presidency. So I thought that would have been item number one in January, along with it could come <laughs> back Obamacare and everything else. It, it could very likely come back. We've seen the proposals over and over again, even in the Obama administration. But mm-hmm. with the Trump administration, there seems to be some political will coming directly from the White House on that. Um, and I think it was the first time that current federal employees saw the possibility of changes to their uh, current pay and benefits that they were promised when they signed on as an employee <laughs> that could possibly be changed. As opposed to new employees yes. coming on board um, like they did with the changing from CSRS to the sort of the FERS. Sure. But, 
Um, with with respect to um, we talked about vacancies. Um, the CFPB has been in the news recently with two acting directors <laughs> and a lawsuit. Uh, Charlie, what what have you well? Uh, it was learned big, about big that? drama. Uh, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the only one they've ever had, Richard Cordray, is rumored to be running for governor of Ohio, but he has not acknowledged that. But he uh, announced a surprise uh, resignation. He, he announced that he would be leaving about a month ago, but he announced that he was accelerating it uh, last Friday, and he named his deputy Leandra English, according to the Dodd Frank. Financial Reform Act of 2010. Mm-hmm. The, the language in that law says that the director will name a, will name a, a deputy as a, a successor, and so the Trump people had already floated uh, a, a story that was not confirmed yet, but we reported it two weeks ago that Budget Director Mick Mulvaney would wear two hats and walk across uh, 18th Street and uh, <laughs> set himself up as running the, as the acting director of the Consumer. Financial Protection Bureau, and that agency has always been controversial. A lot of Republicans mm-hmm. never wanted it in the first place, and uh, the defenders of it say it has saved consumers $12 billion and uh, uh, won many settlements in, uh, among uh, corruption and mortgage companies or mm-hmm. payday lenders or, or big banks like Wells Fargo. But um, the Trump people have a very different approach to it, and they would want to roll back a lot of those regulations. So it's in the courts. The court will be holding a hearing today. And the Vacancies Act, which we've talked about, plays a big role in it. The question would be whether the uh, Trump—nobody questions that President Trump gets to name the permanent director. But the issue is who should be the acting director, which may take many months because the Senate won't necessarily confirm right away. And whether that should follow the language of the 2010 statute that says that it's an, uh, a, a director who appoints a successor to keep it independent from political interference, or whether you follow the Vacancies Act, which has some language that's debated about saying that it's exclusive authority unless other situations apply. And, and if it's under the Vacancies Act, it's only 300 days that uh, – Mulvaney is there, right? Correct. But but that would be not the main point. The main point is that the Vacancies Act is intended to pressure the president to name somebody, yeah. not not just let uh, vacancies lie. Okay. So. And and he, and he won round one, um, uh, he being Mr. Mulvaney. I should be a little more yes, clear. Yes, the Trump people won a, a judge's ruling on Tuesday saying that the Leandra English complaint for immediate establishing herself as the rightful director, did not argue uh, a strong enough case for a temporary restraining order. Uh But now the actual merits of the case are being argued today, and uh, whoever loses is probably going to appeal. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Mr. Mulvaney has has talked about destroying or or eliminating the Bureau. When he was a congressman, he was much more blunt about he wishes it didn't exist. But he knows, he's acknowledged that he, he doesn't have authority he has temporarily frozen uh, rulemaking and hiring. Uh, okay. I think his quote was, "It's just, this agency is a, quote, six sad joke, end quote. That's yeah. kind of the one that's been repeated a lot over the past week. He did bring donuts to win goodwill that. among their employees on his <laughs> first day. So. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, yeah. I did see that. It didn't seem like a lot. Maybe there were some aides in, behind him with more, but I thought... That's yeah, right. I think we only saw a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> that was much remarked upon, the donuts. 
Well, that'll be interesting to see how that um, plays out, because I think you're right. It's going to get appealed whichever side. Um, and I think that uh, Miss English's attorney is a former bureau uh, attorney, so there's there's certainly some passion on both sides about yeah, it's complicated because the Justice Department and the general counsel of the Consumer Bureau both said that Trump was within his rights to name mm-hmm. Paul Haney. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely debatable. Seen a lot of court action. So um, what do you think about, we've got a few minutes to wrap up, um, maybe predictions for 2018. It's it's, Or maybe you have some um some advice you can give to the federal employees and the rest of us um, when it seems like there's breaking news every half hour. How do you how do you manage it as um, when you guys are in the business? Because uh, it, as you said, uh, uh, when we were not on air, um, there was one breaking news that was then trumped by another breaking news yesterday on two different topics. So, um, so what do you think, Charlie? Well. Journalists are just as exhausted as news consumers, and I don't know how people get work done when they're constantly keeping their eye on the news. But in our publication, Government Executive, and my colleagues, I'm sure, do the same, we try and give perspective and and background and context rather than just uh, breaking bulletins. Mm -hmm. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, you should check out the website. It it does um, sort of lay it out for you and and provide you with the perspective of, like the the background and what this is about. Kevin, what do you think? I, I think I agree with Charlie's advice. It's always a good idea to try and go back to something that happens. Like, I mean, the buyouts at EPA have been a story all year, beginning in April, I think is when the first memo leaked that we're going to do this. And so it's always been a chance to kind of go back. And once you kind of get that bit of breaking news out, try to go back, you know, the next week, the next day, the next week, the next month um, to try to find out, well, who took a buyout, where were they, what office mm-hmm. were they based in, and there's, you can kind of do that in every situation. There's been a lot of change at EPA in particular, not just with buyouts is one thing, but we, you know, we talked about, we didn't get a chance to really talk about the science advisory board changes that Administrator mm-hmm. Pruitt's brought forth, which is kind of barring people who have grants, EPA grants, that's resulted in dozens of people who are, at, you know, not uh, not full-time employees of the agency, but basically advising the agency for years on end who are just, just, uh, just kind of, you know, being exited now. So I, it's just uh, try to keep your head above water and realize that everybody else is struggling too, I guess is the <laughs> advice. Uh, predictions for 2018 – I'd like. To, I think there'll be more buyouts, but I don't think the budget cuts will be big. As people like I, again, just using EPA as an example, about eight eight billion, eight point one billion for um, fiscal seventeen. The uh, House bill I think is seven point five, seven point six billion, and the Senate bill seven point nine. And of course, the Trump budget had proposed five point six billion. So some of these big budget cuts that got a lot of attention mm-hmm. and are still talked about, even to the chagrin of some of the Trump political appointees <laughs> um, that came out really, in the spring. Yeah, it like uh, I think a lot of smart people predicted or understood is really Congress gets the final say. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, but again, we'll see if President 
Trump breaks out the veto pen, but I don't think he'll break it out for an omnibus agreed to by Republican Congress. So <laughs> whenever that's coming. Nicole? Um, I would say advice, check your facts, yes. um, check them with a source you trust, and then check them again with another source that you trust. Uh, the example that I'll bring up is um, pretty much day one of the Trump administration, they introduced a hiring freeze. Uh, then Press Secretary Sean Spicer said that this was to combat a dramatic increase in federal employment. It's not true. The size of the federal workforce has stayed about the same at about 2 million mm. for almost 50 to 60 years. Um, as far as <laughs> predictions for next year, oh, interesting. <laughs> I'd say that uh, retirement benefits are going to come back. Civil service reform is going to be a phrase you'll hear next year. We're approaching the 40th anniversary of the civil service Reform Act of 1978. So those are some words, some phrases to keep keep an eye on next year. Yeah, I would add a prediction on the civil service. Uh, they probably don't have critical mass for mm -hmm. major reforms, mm -hmm. but there will be attempts to do it piecemeal at individual agencies, such as they've been doing at the Veterans at the Affairs VA. Department. Yeah, yes. I think that's right. I think that's it started there, and I think it's moving around. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for the show today. I really want to thank the three of you for um, all your insight and informative conversation. It was actually quite fascinating, and I think you're right, just distilling and putting things in perspective and learning the background and finding the truth um, is very important. Um, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. And I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and um, uh, happy holidays. And let's hope we don't have a shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.